Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Yes, we've successfully made it to the end of another work week. Good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And this is courtesy of the Free Beacon. An appeals court upheld an Ohio law banning abortions of babies diagnosed with Down syndrome, marking a victory for the pro-life movement at the state level. The 6th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals upheld Ohio's Down Syndrome Non-Discrimination Act in a 9-7 ruling, overturning a three-judge panel that had ruled against the law. The court found the law did not create an undue burden on the right to an abortion because it limited doctors from performing abortions only when a mother discloses she's requesting the procedure because her child has been diagnosed with Down syndrome. In the ruling, the court wrote, quote, the law further... The law furthers three valid and legitimate interests by protecting, one, the Down syndrome community from the stigma associated with the practice of Down syndrome selective abortions, pregnant women and their families from coercion by doctors who advocate abortion of Down syndrome-afflicted fetuses, and three, the integrity and ethics of the medical profession by preventing doctors from becoming witting participants in Down syndrome-elective abortions. And so, Jim, this uh, debate's been out there a long time. At one point, we had a I think it was a crazy, maybe it was a bad martini years ago, where Iceland declared that they had cured, essentially, Down syndrome. That's because they killed everybody who had it through abortion. Uh, and I certainly know people, I'm sure you do as well, who have children with Down syndrome, and they got a lot of pressure from their physician and perhaps some family members to have the abortion. But uh, for those that decided to have the baby, they cannot imagine uh, life without them now, of course, as, as you would with any child. And so uh, once people see the reality, it's not easy uh, with uh, with children with Down syndrome. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And so the fact that this is advancing is good. I'm guessing another circuit will come to another conclusion. So it could come to the Supreme Court. And, you know, with the current makeup of the court, it's probably a, a better chance of getting the right ruling on this than we've had in a very long time. Yeah. And look, let's begin by saying this is the the thorny, complicated, really emotionally difficult situation. No one wants to look too harshly at parents who find out your, your child is going to have Down syndrome and to feel, oh, well, you should be perfectly fine with that. Living with a disability is hard. Living with a disability is not easier. And we should not just hand wave the difficulties of raising a child who has a challenge like that. On the other hand, most of us would say that doesn't mean that child's life has no value and that you can just, you know, do away with it. Uh, my colleague, Alexander DeSanctis, does some exemplary work on this. And, and she keeps pointing out how often she will run into people who will insist, look, just because we're eliminating all fetuses that have the genes for Down syndrome, that's not the same as eugenics. And like, yes, it is. <laughs> that, that, that's specifically what it, you have certain genes you've decided are undesirable and you are eliminating them past conception. That is, that's pretty much exactly what it is. Just actually this morning, she and I were chatting and she said, point of this comment, like somebody had said, just because we want a group of people in the world, it does not entitle us to conscript individuals to create such people in their wounds conscripted. And she points out no one is conscripting anyone else to do any any such thing. Prohibiting an individual from killing another human being is not conscripting them to create a human being. And my my, my only thing I could add to that, Greg, is if we only knew where babies came from, (laughs) if we could only solve that mystery, we could get to the heart of all this. But uh, alas, science has never been able to determine this. It can't even determine the gender of a child when the the child emerges. 
Yeah. So, you know, and, and she observes that, you know, people, people talk about this as it like women wake up and magically find themselves pregnant. And let's face it, Greg, that's, I want to say it's never happened. It's just happened once. <laughs> and that one turned out pretty well. So it did, uh, it did turn it, out. Yeah. Very well. Uh, as a matter of fact, and of course you'll have somebody uh, respond to what you said. Well, what about the, uh, what about the situations of rape and so forth? And my response to that is that's, a, that's a difficult uh, debate. I would still argue uh, for reasons that the child should have that right to life. But look, uh, that's always where the Democrats and debate moderators, which are usually Democrats, go when that question comes up in the political atmosphere. So my response to that is, okay, let's eliminate all the ones that aren't due to rape, and then we'll debate that one. So yeah, uh, I was just about to say, Greg, if you're a pro-lifer and you had, the, you had a magic wand and that the only abortions that would occur in America would be the ones where there was a case of uh, rape or incest or uh, you know risk to the life of the mother. I take that deal in a heartbeat. Let's let's do that because that would obviously dramatically reduce the number of abortions in this country. And I am someone who is perfectly fine with a steal. I, I would like to see no abortions in this country. But if I can, if I can enact a policy that will actually reduce it, that strikes me as a win. I'm not looking for the uh, as I said a magic wand solution or a silver bullet solution or something going down to zero. Each year we reduce it strikes me as progress and moving things in the right direction. Um, so yeah, that's just terrific. And I don't think you should cite those particularly morally thorny examples in order to defend what we have in most circumstances in most states in this country, which is abortion on demand for any reason whatsoever at any point in the pregnancy, in some cases, even after birth, in yeah. the case of partial birth abortion. Right. No, that, that, that's exactly right. And if uh, you made that deal, you'd eliminate, was it 97, 98, maybe 99% of abortions? I mean, it's it's amazing what they can't defend. And so they always uh, talk about the the more morally uh, debatable uh, issues like you just mentioned, but that's a very tiny fraction of the abortions that we see in this country. All right, let's also talk about our first sponsor of the day, and that is my pillow. We've spent a lot of time talking about their towels and their sheets, and of course the pillows themselves. But now they've uh, gone and uh, developed the my slippers. My slippers took two years to develop to ensure they're the highest in quality and comfort. And I got to say, they did a really good job. They are very, very comfortable. And right now, three Martini Lunch listeners uh, can save forty percent with the promo code Martini at MyPillow.com. My slippers are durable. You can wear them all day, indoors, outdoors, wherever you like. They're beautiful leather suede. They have cozy faux fur linings and a sole that is meant to handle. Walking around your house, walking around on your deck, walking around on your driveway. They have moccasins, slip-on style. They're available in a variety of colors and they have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. These things are so cushy. Layer one is the MyPillow patented fill. That's what they put in the pillow. Then the comfort memory foam. And then the patented impact gel. Just feels so, so good. For a limited time, MyPillow is offering 40% off my slippers. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square. Enter the promo code Martini or call 800-874-0104. While you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and the MyPillow towel sets. You can only save 40% on the new my slippers with the promo code martini so make sure you enter that or use it when you call 800-874-0104 or visit mypillow.com today all right jim let's move to our bad martini now and uh folks who follow the news closely 
probably remember last summer and then again uh, joe biden hammering this issue in debates and on the uh, during the presidential campaign uh, the new york times reporting last summer american intelligence officials have concluded that a russian military intelligence unit secretly offered bounties to taliban linked militants for killing coalition forces in afghanistan including targeting american troops amid the peace talks to end the long-running war there well, not so much. Daily Beast now reporting. On Thursday, the Biden administration announced that U.S. intelligence only had low to moderate confidence in the story after all. Translated from the jargon of spy world, that means the intelligence agencies have found that the story is at best unproven and possibly untrue. Quote, the United States intelligence community assesses with low to moderate confidence that Russian intelligence officers sought to encourage Taliban attacks, U.S. and coalition personnel in Afghanistan in 2019 and perhaps earlier. Uh, according to officials on Thursday's call, the reporting about the alleged bounties came from detainee reporting, raising the specter that someone told their U.S.-aligned Afghan jailers what they thought was necessary to get out of a cage. So... Jim, I mean, it wouldn't shock me that the Russians were doing that. But I mean, this was treated as absolute incontrovertible fact. Uh, Trump was certainly dragged through the mud for not confronting Putin on it more vociferously. And uh, now, months, almost a year later, we're basically getting the, oh, yeah, uh, we can't really tell you if that happened or not. And so it, uh, after all the, the months and years we had of absolutely there was Russian collusion in 2016, uh, some of these uh, well-placed sources don't seem to have the foggiest clue what they're talking about or they're actively feeding disinformation. Yeah. So there are a couple of things to unpack here. The first is a unit, you know, we know the Russians are not the good guys and we know they oppose our uh, expanded military presence around the world. And we know the Taliban are not good guys and we know they're trying to kill, or at least up until the ceasefire, we're trying to kill our guys over in Afghanistan. So the idea of these two forces working together and one encouraging the other or financially supporting the other in of itself is not that implausible, but thinking that something could happen is not the same as knowing that it is happening. And this, uh, it, one of the things you learn if you, you know, and work in, in journalism for a while is that finding somebody to offer the point of view that, that you want to lay out is generally not that hard, particularly, you know, there are simply, let's say you're writing about crime or something like that. And you want to make an argument that uh, getting tough on crime is better. You can find retired FBI officials who will say that. You can also find retired FBI officials who will say a punitive approach to crime doesn't work. And we need to move things more of a criminal justice reform approach. Um, you can find on military, you can say we should be striking first, striking hard and taking out terrorists before they can hit us. You can find retired generals and military brass who can have that perspective, or you can say that sort of mentality in fact only, only inflames local populations, makes them angrier, creates more enemies. So oftentimes like, well, we should see what the experts say. The experts don't necessarily always agree and there's not necessarily a clear consensus. And you can make it seem like people, you know, uh, there's a consensus simply by the who you choose to quote and who do you choose to spotlight in your article about this. Uh, it doesn't seem all that unlikely. It'd be the same thing in both. Once we've seen retired intelligence officials, and I would imagine inside the U.S. intelligence community. Now, if you work for the U.S. intelligence community, you're not supposed to call up reporters and say, "Here's what we think." Um, there, actually, ironically, the Central Intelligence Agency, I believe, does have a official uh, a press spokesman. I don't imagine he answers a lot of detailed questions, but you know, whenever every once in a while you'll see a uh, an article, very often involving CIA history or something like that, where the things are declassified, and you'll see them getting officially uh, quoted and things like that. But by and large, 
the intelligence community isn't supposed to be calling up to reporters and saying, hey, yeah, this is what's going on. They may see some sort of value in getting information out there, but you're supposed to go through official channels and things like this. In this particular situation, you know, whether or not you want to buy into every accusation about the deep state and all that stuff going on back to the Trump administration, it seems very clear. There were people who either didn't know what they were talking about and acted like they did and put this out to reporters or who did know what they talked about and leaned heavily in a certain direction about something that was not yet proven and not yet certain because they wanted to, create, you know, to enhance an already existing narrative that Donald Trump is soft on Russia, that Donald Trump doesn't support the troops, that Donald Trump, now here's the thing, listen to this podcast, no, I'm not a fan of Donald Trump. Donald Trump deserved a lot of criticism, but the criticism of Donald Trump deserves, should be based in facts. And you should get really nervous when a big shocking story like this doesn't have a single named source. Look, there are obvious reasons why people in the intelligence community can't, you know, come out and say, hi, I work on, a, you know, in Af on Afghanistan uh, for the CIA. And here's what we've found. And here's what we found in these intercepted radio signals. And here's what the NSA says and things like that. Like, okay, like it's, it could, there's obvious reasons they can't do this. But if that stuff is classified, well, it's probably classified for a reason. And you are not out, you know, it's not your job to decide, well, here's what people need to know about this. That decision is quite literally above your pay grade. Deeply frustrating. It's not the first time we've seen a story blow up on this. And the claim that, uh, what was it the Atlantic where, where Trump was scoffing in Arlington Cemetery and he couldn't understand why people would sacrifice their lives for their country and stuff like that. That article didn't have a single named source. You know, we had good reason throughout the Trump years to be a little wary whenever you didn't have a single person on it. And by the way, I want to point out an early story about uh, James Comey, um, uh, Comey retired. He started showing up on Stephen Colbert. And he ended up becoming part of the resistance and being active on, on social media. And I wanted to write a story about how people at the FBI felt about this. Now, obviously, there were not, you know, active current people working for the FBI were not authorized to talk to the press and were not going to talk to the press. As I mentioned, a lot of retired people, and they have all kinds of different opinions on this. Some of them were, I, I should say, most of them were anywhere from eh, not thrilled with what. Comey was doing to deeply thinking this was a deep mistake, that you did not want to see a retired FBI director becoming a very partisan figure. Um, I don't know this for certain. I have a suspicion there are people in the CIA who probably feel the same way about John Brennan. People who work in national security and who have these kinds of like bipartisan responsibilities for protecting public safety, they don't like seeing their old bosses become political talking heads. Um, different kind of job. I think it undermines public faith in what they do and you know undermines public trust in their institutions. Um, but there were a few who, you know, were not so outraged about, about Comey, but every single person in that article was named. And I was very proud of myself for having to put together, for putting together an article where you never once had to say one source within the Bureau says. So this is why I hold myself to this standard. I'm not saying I've never used unnamed sources. Sometimes you, somebody tells you something really good and they won't let you use your name. You got to you know, negotiate about, okay, how can I identify you? A carbon-based life form within the administration has said, you know. <laughs> That's what you got to do. But it's so it's one of those things that in this case, the media institutions that reported this absolutely abused the trust of their audiences and they should be held accountable. And what's really baffling is how multiple media organizations were able to verify something that we now know the original sources were not being accurate about. You referred to James Comey as retired. That's a good way to put it. Uh, was, uh, <laughs> your services are no longer required, sir. All right, Jim. Well, uh, 
Good news that Jim Comey's long gone, uh, but he's been a, a disaster. But uh, some real good news, uh, getting a box of awesome meat on your porch is uh, fantastic as well. And that's where Moink Box comes in. Uh, we talked about them a couple of weeks ago and the awesome bacon that they gave us. Uh, we also uh, have had steaks since then, which were excellent. And Mrs. Columbus informs me that tonight, this very night, we'll be having lamb burgers. Can't wait. And so uh, whether it's steak or ground beef or chicken, whatever it is, Moinkbox has high quality products and they do it the right way. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon direct to your door. Their animals are raised outdoors, their fish swim wild in the ocean, and Moink meat is free of antibiotics, hormones, sugar, and all the other kind of junk that you can find pre-packaged in the meat aisle. Sign up at moinkbox.com slash martini to get a year of ground beef for free, and then pick what meats you want delivered with your first box. Change what you get each month and cancel any time. Like I said, this is really good stuff. Uh, we've had the bacon a number of times looking for, I actually had the chicken too. Uh, very, very good. Uh, the steaks are fantastic and can't wait for the lamb. It's uh, just a great variety. The way they do it uh, should make you feel good too. Uh, Kevin O'Leary, uh, because Moinkbox went on Shark Tanks, that is the best bacon, for example, he's ever tasted. And so uh, you will not regret getting Moinkbox. I'm glad I got a box and I think you will be too. Uh, join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash martini right now and listeners to the three martini lunch get free ground beef for a year that's one year of the best ground beef you'll ever taste but it's only for a limited time spelled m-o-i-n-k box.com slash martini that's moinkbox.com slash martini man now i'm already hungry for dinner all right let's talk about our crazy martini now jim and uh yesterday we talked at the beginning and at the end of the podcast about the democratic efforts to pack the court we talked about how nancy pelosi is not going to bring it to the floor at least for now. We'll see if she changes her mind, depending on whether she likes some Supreme Court decisions coming up. But even though she said that, a bunch of Democrats went and held their little press conference in front of the Supreme Court yesterday, including Jerry Nadler, uh, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, and the leader of this, uh, let's just say, questionable effort on the Senate side is Ed Markey of Massachusetts. Now, Ed Markey's judgment should always be suspect because this is a guy who spent 38 years in the House to run for the Senate after John Kerry uh, became Secretary of State. So he traded in nearly four decades of seniority for none. And uh, so now he'd be chairman of a committee putting together his precious climate legislation or something. But nonetheless, uh, Ed Markey has been on the front lines of judicial debates before, Jim. In fact, there's a great split screen that somebody came up with yesterday of him back in 2016 at the exact same location on the steps of the Supreme Court with a uh, sign in front of the podium that says, hashtag, we need nine, which is obviously in reference to uh, his belief that President Obama's choice of Merrick Garland deserved a hearing, deserved a confirmation vote, and we shouldn't have to wait until after the Trump versus Hillary presidential election. Well, he didn't get his way on that, obviously. But now, right next to that is his uh, sign on the podium saying, expand the court. So Ed Markey, who was pushing for constitutional and fidelity to tradition uh, just five years ago. Eh, we're down three votes on the court a lot of the time, so let's just add four more. Yeah, and look, I could, you know, spend a lot of time making fun of Marky, although it's feel, at some point it starts to feel like uh, shooting fish in a barrel. But I, like the <laughs> fundamental lesson of, of so many of the fights of our, our, of our time, particularly around the process of government and 
Should there be a filibuster? Should this Supreme Court nominee get confirmed or not get confirmed? Are they rushing through legislation or are they taking their time or something like that? Look, you have to settle on one set of rules. And that set of rules has to be in place when your side has the presidency and when they don't have the presidency. It has to be in place when your side has a Senate majority. It has to be in place when your side doesn't have the Senate majority. It has to be in place whether your side has 60 or more votes, which is obviously not very tough to come by. And Democrats sort of kind of came close and kind of had that during a couple stretches in Obama's first terms. But actually, if you look back, there's only a few months here, a few months there because of various vacancies they had. Um, and it's got to apply when you're in the, in the minority. And same thing for the House, same thing. for It's got to be the same set of rules, whether your political side is on top or it's not. And you can't change it every time these sorts of things happen. And any kind of adoption of the rules that your side does because you think it's going to benefit you. Well, once the other side wins enough elections to be back in the majority, they're going to have the same chance to do this. And we make fun of Harry Reid on this program over and over again. It's what we've seen with the filibuster against judges. And it's one of those things like this is what our, our founding fathers kind of understood is you needed a system where you could live with uh, the rules, whether you were in the majority or in the minority. Now, if you're in the minority, you're going to have a lot less ability to say, to have a say in how things are done. You're not going to have an easy time getting your bills, bills passed. You're not going to have a very easy time. You might have an easy, a better chance of blocking things. But the easier you make it to block things, well, then, okay, then the other guys, when you're in the majority, they have the same opportunities to block your to block your stuff. The thresholds for building consensus have to remain the same, and they can't be adjusted. It's really, really unwise for Democrats to be passing big sweeping bills on a 50-50 majority that they've got with Kamala Harris breaking the ties. If you can't persuade 10 members of the opposite party, maybe your idea isn't, that such, isn't such a hot idea that you, ideally your ideas are so good that you, even the opposition party, which doesn't want to hand you wins and doesn't want to say, yeah, this is a terrific uh, president we've got. And yes, this is a terrific, you know, democratic majority party we've got. Ideally, there's something in that bill like, yeah, okay. And we've seen it on stuff like criminal justice reform. Every once in a while, you do find a majority thing get passed. Um, there was a reauthorization of a bone marrow program uh, that uh, that passed 413 to two in the House yes, yesterday. Oh, by the way, Marjorie Taylor Greene and the other lunatic were the two who voted against it. So good to see that they're staying on brand with that one. They're anti-bone marrow transplants, apparently. Ed Markey is like the walking epitome of the guy who, whatever the rules are, thinks they're unfair if he can't get immediately what he wants, when he wants it immediately. And that's why we're in the mess that we're in. And Greg, I'm glad it's Friday. Exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, because uh, the way the media looks at this, of course, is if they like the legislation, which right now they do, uh, they're going to talk about obstructionism. If they don't like the legislation uh, and it looks like it's still going to pass, like tax cuts during the Trump administration, uh, well, then the process is not fair to the minority. And so the, the narrative is always that the process, if the Democrats get, can't get what they want, is flawed and uh, Republicans are obstructionists uh, in, in that situation. So uh, yeah, the Democrats come in. They finally get the uh, the presidency uh, after losing it four years earlier. They keep the House barely, and it's a 50-50 Senate. And so what are they, what's the first thing they want to do? Make sure Republicans have no power. Kill the filibuster and stack the court. So hopefully neither of those are going to happen anytime soon. So, Jim, yes, we all need a break. Hope you get a good weekend, and I'll see you Monday. 
See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch. Always grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Also, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend. And please join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next.